The sport of falconry uses falcons in pursuit of game. When the predator is released, it, it often rises too high for the hunter to see. So the hunter often would carry with him a, a caged shrike. It, by watching it, the hunter could tell where the falcon was because instinctively, the shrike would cock its head to instinctively keep the falcon always in view. And it struck me as I thought of that, as we consider the portion of scripture that we are looking at this morning, we would do well to keep the shrike in mind. Keeping in perspective what we are told in 1 Peter 5, 8, that our adversary walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. <laughs> but our problem is, the last lion we saw was imprisoned, lying lying behind the secured walls of a zoo enclosure. His danger, just all roar and no bite. But Paul tells us that the danger is real as he takes us onto a battlefield, a combat zone as, that we often misidentify. We, we see it as a political decision that's made or a va- moral value that's being promoted or, or, or sometimes perhaps that face in front of us that attacks. But most of all, our fighting is wrongly placed. We, we think that, that enemy is that coworker or that deceit that we face, but, it, but it's not. We fight the seen, leaving the unseen untouched. The unseen that Scripture tells us is in the heavenly places, where war room strategies are devised, and where weapons are engaged, where the power of the enemy really is. Tony Evans gives us rather in a tongue-twisting sort of way a quote. He warns, if all you are looking at is the visible physical and not the invisible spiritual, then you will not see the invisible spiritual causing all the visible physical reality of the Goliath that you and I now face. That means we need to know what is taking place in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm. And about this, we are told several things in Scripture. We're told the good that we're given as Christians, as in Ephesians 1, verse 3. It says, our blessings are in heavenly places. Ephesians 1.20, that Jesus is seated in heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6, that you and I are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. And then we're brought to that part that is less than good. In Ephesians 6.12, where we're dwelling in this morning, we are told that the demonic realm, the spiritual hosts of wickedness, operate in the heavenlies. And this tells me that we make a grave mistake when we don't recognize that the earthly is directed and directly connected to activities in the heavenlies. And knowing that, God calls us to arm up for the enemy that we really face. And in that battle, to stand firm. We are given God's command to stand four times in in four verses. In other words, that we're told to, to don't run, don't waver, don't get knocked off your feet by the things that surround or the things that may come. That we're to stand, 
when culture redefines things. We are to stand when things like our definition of marriage and our sexual identity comes at us and tries to to knock us off our feet with philosophies and beliefs that are contrary to what God says. We are to stand when political initiatives run, run counter to God's truth. And in verse 11, we are told to take your stand. In other words, stand up and step out. Position yourself, position myself as a follower of Jesus, knowing the one that we serve Knowing that he is, we're told in, first, in Colossians 2.15, we are told that he is the one who has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And in verse 13, we're told that we're to stand our ground. Here we're, here we're called not just to stand up, but we are to stand in, to dig in, and to make sure our footholds are firmly placed. That we're to anchor ourselves so we aren't surprised or knocked down when trouble comes. That we're to stand in our identity as God-chosen, God-empowered warriors. Hearing what our commander's voice says, that the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations before you. And no one is able to stand against you to this day. One of you routed a thousand because the Lord your God was fighting for you just as he promised. Verse the truth that we're told in Joshua 23, verses 9 to 11. The third place we're told to stand is given us in verse 13 again. And after you have done everything, stand. And this reference to standing, tells me that I have a responsibility to stand fully prepared and fully equipped in his strength. That nothing about what God tells me to do is forgotten. Nothing is unfit from lack of use. Nothing is in disrepair. This, this isn't let go and let God, but we're to stand fully prepared in what God calls us to. And assured of all this, then we're given the fourth stand in verse 14. It says, stand firm in the belt of truth, in the breastplate of righteousness, and our feet with the gospel equipped, gospel of peace. A, a soldier who has put on the full armor of God enabled to stand. And with that command to put on the armor, Paul instructs us to get our order in right. How we dress, get the order right. Because if the foundation pieces are in place, we're told in verses 14 to 16, we can stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on or girded, drawn tight, the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on or shod the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And, and to understand what God is saying here, we need to understand a little bit of grammar. And, and there's a word that's used three times, and it's given to us in what's called a present participle. It's the 
phrase that you get with the, the three letters, I-N-G. And, and the, the present participle, what it respond, reacts to and what it's talking about is a continual action, a continuous form of the verb. In other words, it's something that's been done, it's being done, and it will be done. It has that three aspect to it. Past, present, and future. So these three pieces of armor that we're told to put on are something that have been done. We have been having girded your loins with truth, truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace, represent as Christians what's already been done, what is being done, and what will be done is something that we are to actively keep doing. Put on, done, yes. To be done, yes. Both things are true. So, first, we have to understand, if we're to dress in the right order, we need the truth right. We need to understand the righteousness right. And we need to understand what gives us peace right. The peace of what God provides. So those are things that we're having put on. And then we are told in the next few verses things that we are then to take up. That we are to take up the shield of faith up. Uh, shield of faith. We are to take up the helmet of salvation. And we are to take up the sword of the Spirit. There are the things we stand in. And then there are the things that we stand with as situations dictate. So let's take a closer look at what God is saying about the armor of God. He first tells us to put on the belt of truth. And as you looked at the Roman soldier, the last thing you'd pay attention to anything would be the belt. Your first glance would probably would be to the helmet because it would indicate the, the army in which you serve and if it would also have the status which you've earned. It might have the regalia that crowns the helmet. Perhaps you might see the breastplate and draw your attention to that. It's the power of the shimmering uh, metal that the sun catches. And the belt? It's just small and inconspicuous. Nothing that you would pay attention to. But without the belt, nothing holds in place. Because when the Roman soldier were to run, he would tuck his tunic into the belt. When he stood weary from fighting, getting tired from the arrows that were being shot at him, he would take a shield and tuck it in the support of the belt. In hand-to-hand combat, the belt would keep the breastplate tight to his body so that he wouldn't be easily knocked off. And if a sword needed to be drawn, it was drawn from what was held in the belt. See, because the belt was critical, crucial element of all the parts of the soldier's armor. And so too, we as Christians are ill-equipped unless we have a well-fitting belt of truth. In a time when truth is up for negotiation or subject to popular opinion, it is essential that we rely and know and live in God's truth. 
Because the battle, when the battle comes and the things come at us, that's no time for second-hand truth. It's no time, well, my parents believed or, or my church believes. It it's clearly comes down to, to what I believe. Because truth is God's statement of reality. What is unchangeable, what is unchallengeable, what is irrefutable. But we say... My battle is what is standing right in front of me. And God says, no. He says our battle is in the heavenlies. And if you're not standing with a well-understood, tightly drawn belt of truth, you're ill-equipped for that battle. The problem is is that many Christians are ill-equipped because they're unfamiliar with God's truth. A study of incoming freshmen at a very prestigious, very respected Christian university, Evangelical Bible College, found that one-third of its students couldn't identify Matthew as an apostle amongst a number of other names that were given uh, from the New Testament. Half didn't know the Christmas story could be found in the book of Matthew. Only 20% knew that Paul's travels could be found in the book of Acts. And a half didn't know that the story of the Jews' slavery and departure from Egypt was found in the book of Exodus. And these students were described as Christians, Christian young people who were committed in their faith, wanting to go ahead and be used by God. And yet, Knowing, knowing the scripture was something that was used only for situation specific. Now, the issue is far beyond knowing stories. That, that's not the question. But the challenge, what the young people uh, it determined through the study, is also something that that's not limited to students. And without, as I said, without a hold on God's truth, entertainers teach us the values to believe Movies set the standards how we are to act. Television hosts tell us what truth we should think. Everyone but God. And it's not surprising because Satan's first words were always bound in that, where he said, did God really say? Because his intent were to distance us from the belt of God's truth. And he's never, never deviated from that purpose. His primary goal is to get us to deny God's truth. And failing that, he wants us to neglect God's truth. Because, again, if we don't know God's truth, we are unable to stand in the authority of his truth. We see his book as just something that's compiled in the between covers. It's his word in a book rather than the actual living word of God. A a word that we're to to read and to meditate on. A word that we're supposed to surround ourselves in both by the written word but also other avenues of feeding in truth to us through praise, worship, praise and worship, through music that we hear on the praise radio, through through things, the resources like right now, that the media that gives us God's truth and plant them in us. It, it's important to know, and I'm, I'm dwelling on this, but the, the belt of truth does not bring attention to itself. It, its purpose is to hold things in place. 
Every so often I encounter Christians who, who want to show me how wide and how impressive their belt of truth is. They want to, to make this argument and demand this and declare this, proving a point. They inspect and they judge and they find fault. But the, they use the word in ways that were never intended it to be used. Because the belt's chief purpose is to hold in place the biggest piece of armor, which is the belt or the breastplate of righteousness. The belt isn't on display. It's the uh, shield of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness that is to be on display. My point is this. Truth isn't shouted out for others to hear. It's lived out for others to see. And as God intends, it's truth that is attracting, attractive, it is convincing, and it is undeniably real. Truth that shows Jesus' love. Truth that isn't, that isn't demonstrated in new attitudes and new actions, that, that's not fulfilling its purpose because truth is to bring change. It's not to hold us to a position that we rigidly hold to. So why should we expect anyone to listen to the truth, the truth that we speak, but is far distant from how we live? So the belt of truth is to support and hold up the breastplate of righteousness, which is the thing that is seen. And the breastplate of righteousness was the biggest piece of armor, the dominant thing that would be seen as the sun would shine on the army as it would, it would come no clear, come close. And long before the battleground was reached, the, their coming was announced by the light that shone ahead. And that begs the question, what is it that people see when they look at us? What shines forth from us? Do they see the shine of, of life or of rules? Joy or regulation? Relationship or just ritual? Above all, do they see the shine of people who have been made new in the presence and have lived in the presence of Christ? First, understand, as we look at the shield of righteousness, or the breastplate of righteousness, we don't make ourselves righteousness. We are given righteousness. He makes us right. We stand right before God, made right in Christ. But our righteousness is far more than what we possess. It's what clearly possesses us. It changes us. It changes how we think and how we act, what we say. Righteousness that that is called to shape us as we do business, to shape us as we do home, as we live on the road trip. Christ's life infusing every part of us. Not perfection achieved in us, but Christ's perfection working in us. Holy Spirit-enabled righteousness that brings 
repentance, brings change, brings transformation. The old left behind. And again, be repetitive. Righteousness cannot operate, can't function without the truth. Because truth doesn't merely support righteousness. It provides the steel to do what's intended. And practically, that means some things. Practically, it means that if we are harboring offense, we are living outside of God's truth. If our hearts are pursuing other first-place loves other than Jesus, we are living outside of God's truth. If we are living in a relationship outside of marriage, we are living outside of God's truth. If we speak doctrine rather than love in our marriages, in our parenting, we are living outside of God's truth. Know this, that Satan will use whatever isn't surrendered to God. It will be the place that he launches his attack. So your question and mine is this. Are there areas in our lives that we need to surrender to his righteousness, to where we need to confess, place our hidden places, where he's telling us it's time to take our relationship with Jesus seriously? The third piece of armor just want to briefly look at is the, their feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier sandals were studded, which provided solid footing when an attack would come. It would prevent them from being knocked off balance. And with that stability came assurance. Assurance that Paul is telling us, when you've got your feet planted well, you will understand that he gives the gospel of peace. Peace of a forgiven heart. And, and the great news is this, that as followers of Jesus, we are Jesus' forgiven people. We have peace with God. Because of Jesus, we've been made new. Because of Jesus, we've been declared not guilty. But our good news is also something, not just that we have, it is also something that we are to give away. The forgiven people giving uh, forgiveness freely to others, putting an end to bitterness, putting an end to anger, putting an end to revenge. So many people live in defeat because they refuse to let go of offense. They've been wronged. They've been hurt. <laughs> Guess what? It happens. But held on to, that offense holds on to them in a python-like grip that will destroy. Offense and strife are the place in which Satan dwells, but when forgiveness is given, past wounds are hard places to reopen. And that's why he fights so hard. His attacks come against us so vigilantly to keep us living as a people who won't forgive. Again, you need to hear it. Listen, as long as we draw, draw breath, we will be wounded. We will have words that are spoken to us. Actions will be done and reasons will come. However, when we live out God's 
truth and forgive, we live out what we are told is the gospel of peace. So just as a recap, these are the pieces of armors that we have, as Christians have been given. And they are the foundation of the clothing in which we are to live. Forgiven and forgiving. People living in truth, made new and living new in ways that reflect Jesus. It is the strength of these that we are then able to take up the weaponry that God gives to come to deal with what comes against us. And first, it's the shield of faith. See, the, the shield of faith, the shields that the Roman soldier would carry would be ones that would be made of metal and they'd be overlaid with, with leather, animal skins. And before battle, the soldiers would take them and soak these shields in water. So when they marched into battle, when, they, when the fiery darts would come, the fiery arrows would come, they would quickly have the fire extinguished. And it's interesting Paul has a close link of faith with feet. Because faith requires action. Faith is believing God's truth and then acting on that truth. Faith is like a, a motion sensor that comes on when there's mo movement. No motion, no light. But once motion is detected, lights come, turn on. We don't feel faith, then act. We act in faith, and then feel. And even if feeling doesn't come, the truth of what we hold to isn't validated by what's felt. It's validated by what's done by our feet. Moses discovered that when he held his rod over the sea. The priests discovered that when they stepped into the Jordan. Joshua's soldiers discovered that when they walked the seventh time around a wall. Naaman discovered that when he discovered and dipped the seventh time under the water. But first, Moses had to reach. The priests had to step. The soldiers had to walk. Naaman had to dip. Jesus had to cross. And when they did, walls fell, waters parted, healing came, and victory of a cross shouted. Very often God calls us to lift our shields as we stand alongside others who lift up their shields because the shields in battle would be overlapped one-third over the other so that they protected one another. And our faith is repelled and our faith is strengthened when we see the fiery darts repel, uh, repelled, the fiery darts of deception and lie. Lies that, as we said before, are intended to distance us from God with discouragement and fear, with hopelessness and shame, with stubbornness and pride, with greed and lust. Darts that say God doesn't care, God doesn't speak, God doesn't step in. Darts that say there are other gods to follow, other philosophies that are more worthy. I thought back as a child and often watching cowboy, old cowboy and Indian movies where those under the attack would circle their wagons and in response the, the enemy would uh, release fiery darts, uh, fiery arrows into the canvas of the wagons. But think of it, the canvas was protecting nothing. Uh, the, the canvas wasn't giving protection. 
So what the fiery arrows were to do was to cause distraction. Because those launching the arrows understood this. That those in, behind the wagons, they couldn't fight the fire and the enemy at the same time. They were distracting. And the enemy's hope is that those arrows would penetrate and burn so we would break formation and run. The shield of faith is what God tells us, a shield of trust. And we are told to walk by faith, putting our trust in the Lord, believing that God will take care of our needs, having faith that no matter what happens, that God is present. It's true. Pathways will not always be clear. Pitfalls will not always be removed. But God present, even in when we do not see, even in times we don't understand. When it comes to the lies of Satan, we need to understand this. Don't listen to him. Don't argue with him. Don't reason with him. Don't give audience to him. Instead, run back into the truth of what God declares and allow his strength, his truth, to bring victory. So when Satan does attack, don't be surprised, because that's his nature. 1 Peter 4.12 tells us this, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial that you must undergo as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's not. It's the way the enemy works. So briefly, two last things. Take the helmet of salvation. Probably the most defining part of the Roman's uh, armor was his helmet. And one glance, and you knew under whose army you served, whose banner you fought. But the, but the shield wasn't just something of decoration and declaration. It was also a place that was to understand that the, the soldier's face and head was bound and protected by what surrounded it, the metal that surrounded it. It was, it was the salvation that is given us. It's a helmet of salvation. The outcome has been determined. Our victory has been assured. Our reward is just awaiting. So live and act in line with who you are, sitting with the one in the heavenly places where Jesus is with you. And lastly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word. We have different references to the word in Scripture. We have graphe, which is written. We have logos, which is the content and meaning. And we have the word rhema. And the sword referenced was a short sword, a double-edged weapon, almost like a dagger used in the close combat to cut and to thrust against the enemy. It was razor sharp. The soldier's sword was a deadly weapon when the enemy moved in too close. The word used is the power of God, the rhema, not the truth that's out there, not the truth about God that we, we just make declaration of, but the truth of God into our specific situation, the sword of the Spirit that will come in and disarm the enemy, whatever he intends. Coming into the places where we need, the strength is not ours, the strength is his, where we need God's victory that we don't have the strength to bring, but God does. So know this as you think of the armor of God. Armed with God's Spirit, who has disarmed 
the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So for you and I, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The one that will say one time, soldier, well done, well stood, well worn. You've worn it for me. Lord, thank you that we stand in your power and your strength and your provision. And though no, we don't understand everything we face, we will declare that we will be your soldiers standing in your strength and your victory. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.